right? Yeah. So like those gaps is like, how do I get from one win to the next? Like I said, you have to celebrate every little win. I don't think there's such a thing as like a gig or win too small. From Chispa House, this is Creative First, the show about the spark of creative leaders and how they discovered their passions, what inspires their work ethic, and the journey of getting paid to do what they love the most. I'm your host, Kelsey Cochran, and I hope everyone had a great New Year's. This week, our guest is Minji Chang. Uh, Minji has spread her skills across comedy, acting, podcasting, producing, and she is the director of a nonprofit called Collaboration, which we'll get to in the episode. She has trained at Upright Citizens Brigade and Beverly Hills Playhouse. She's done commercial acting and voiceover for companies such as Wells Fargo, Humanify, and Spotify. And she's also created some hilarious viral videos that made their way onto BuzzFeed's website as well. Minji is super inspirational. She's really motivated and dedicated to her career, and she's definitely someone who lends her helping hand to really anyone in the industry, and I can't wait to share some of her advice and expertise. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the podcast. We have another guest, Minji Chang. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk to me. I am really excited to share, you know, your story and your career and your journey and your ups and your downs with this community. And I know you're a podcaster as well, so I'm excited to learn from you in that sense so I can kind of get better at what I'm doing. Oh my gosh, well, I would just say off the top, first of all, that you're a natural, so don't even worry about it. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, well, I want to get right into it because there's a lot to unpack. And like you mentioned to me before, you know how to talk. So yeah, let's do it. Okay, so you have been in the creative field for a very long time. And I know that it kind of started through acting in plays and musicals when you were young, but then you decided to go to college for public health and maybe thought you wanted to pursue a career in that you know, medicine and technology field. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and then what point you realized you should steer back to the creative industry? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I was always like an artsy child, definitely into the theater world, loved singing and dancing, was really shy in, in real life. But then, you know, when you get in that performance mode, it's like, where's my stage? Where's my light? Um, so that was really fun. And I was very into arts and crafts, just really creative, but I was also really into schools and I excelled at it. And just, you know, with my family and with everything, um, I had been kind of geared towards pursuing a very prestigious route. And I was really into wanting to becoming a doctor. And so I was just full on on that track. And it was kind of when I had taken that teenage break of being awkward and yeah. self-conscious and not really in a mindset of like, let me go perform. I was like a leadership geek. I was, you know, into school. That It just took me there. And then, so I was really on track for that, doing the pre-med courses. That'll teach you a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd been through a number of experiences in my life, like a really tough relationship and other things that kind of rattled me and also gave me perspective. Like, what is it that you really want to do with your time? And what are you doing because you feel like you're supposed to do it? And what are you doing because you really have like the fuel and the fire to go do it? Hopefully sometimes it could be an overlapping thing, but sometimes those are different. It was when I started volunteering for this nonprofit 
nonprofit called Collaboration, which I eventually became the executive director of. That was, it was the volunteering experience that made me dive right back into production and, and arts and performing on the side as like an extracurricular outside of my career. And it was just a slow, gradual turn. Like, I just feel like it was like the Titanic turning <laughs> one degree every day until I was on a different path. That's such a packed journey. And I want to kind of talk about the nonprofit that you said you volunteered for, Collaboration, because mm-hmm. I think it's something that's really awesome. It supports and showcases Asian Pacific Islander American artists in the industry that are, you know, striving for greatness, striving to get exposure, striving to get awareness of their work. Can you tell us a little bit more about the types of artists or creators that you typically showcase? Yeah, for sure. Collaboration came into my universe through YouTube. And so Mm -hmm. at the time, really quick explanation of collaboration, it's a nonprofit and it's a grassroots organization to promote and discover and connect Asian American Pacific Islander artists. So we focused a lot um, starting in 2000, which was when it first came to be through uh, Paul Kim, who's a stand-up comedian. He really just put together a talent showcase, really. So it was performing artists. It was singers and dancers and rappers and DJs and B-boys. And But yeah, it was started in 2000. So this was actually pre-social media. And okay. so... You know, it was really like a physical platform, a space where Asian American artists just be themselves and to be as weird and talented and sexy and what, you know, whatever variation of that, because the representation of Asians had been very narrow Mm -hmm. and still has been honestly for a very long time in mainstream media. It was just a really audacious move to change that narrative and to do it one show at a time, one artist. And that proliferated since 2000 to spread across 18 cities in North America and um, showcase, I think we've had over like 1,100 acts, which is not people. That's like 1,100 acts. And each act sometime would have one to 10 people. So, you know, easily like a couple thousand Asian American artists just to like give them a sense of the, that limelight and to express themselves creatively. And we've expanded, you know, we, we do the performing arts talent showcases, but we'd also, you know, with comedians and with writers, and I helped start a conference called Empower, which was to not only showcase, but to teach and educate and network uh, Asian American creative professionals. So we got the whole gamut of behind the scenes. We got executives and producers and camera people and all sorts of different kind of creative. I feel like I've just been able to understand and witness the entertainment and media industry frontwards and backwards from every angle for 11 years now. So it's been really, wow. really cool. Yeah. That, that's so many types of people. I can't imagine <laughs> the, the network you've created around this organization. What have you learned that stands out the most to you from these motivated young artists? That might be a really packed question, but that I feel awesome. like there's so much to learn from their determination. Absolutely. I think one of the um, very eye-opening things that when you're a young creative or when you're an aspiring artist, there's a sense of hopefulness Mm -hmm. and um, you're really striving to build your confidence, which that in and of itself is such a difficult thing. And I've met some of the most talented people on the face Mm -hmm. of the earth, just roll out of bed and they're just wildly talented. And I also notice, like realistically, if, if, if somebody's working to make that their living talent, isn't everything. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, that's been a very eye-opening thing. There's a number of ways that people go about expressing that recognition of either it's entitlement or it's just like complete self-deprecating, self-defeating mental. So attitude and execution have a huge component in terms of 
how far a person can go. Mm-hmm. I have my own personal beliefs and my own experiences of like adjusting my attitude and my, my execution because it's a lot of internal work. Right. But I think in this industry, we look at a lot of these external markers of like, oh, how talented are they? How many followers do they have? And it depends really on like what kind of career that you want to have. And I think those attitudes are shifting all the time. So I think maybe one of the points that I would bring up first is that talent isn't everything. It certainly is necessary. You got to have the goods and um, talent isn't just something that you're born with. You can have a natural talent and cultivate it and grow it and develop it and build it, which I think is personally the hallmark of like a true artist. They really care about the craft. They care about excellence and then can work on the internal work and be a business person and be strategic and partner with people and build collaborative relationships. Then I think there's more opportunities for that to thrive. There's no formula, unfortunately. Of course. <laughs> but I think that if you want a career, like if you want longevity, you can't, you can't just be talented and expect to get very far. You might be a viral hit, yeah. but if you want that long-term thing and you want to create, continue to grow, I think attitude and execution have, they play a huge, 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 huge role. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And okay. How have you trained this group of people to measure success in themselves? Because I think the community that we have that, that we're kind of speaking to through this podcast, they mm-hmm. are completely motivated. They're determined. Um, they're trying to find that balance between here's my talent. How can I become that business person? How can I mesh the two? But how do you coach this group, this group toward measuring their success? So I don't want to frame it that way. This is just my personal opinions from what I've uh, experienced because uh, on behalf of the organization, we haven't really coached people. We've only kind of exposed them to opportunities and, and let them glean from it what they will, okay. I, I guess is the best way to put it. On that note, I think in pursuit of what you're doing, you got to pay attention to what the world's feeding back to you because I think with, with artistry and creativity and making it a living, right? It's not just like I'm painting because I enjoy it and I, I want to make a picture and it makes me feel good. Yeah. We're talking about doing things that are meant to communicate something to an audience, right? So that audience feedback is a part of the equation, right? And you know, there's a lot of different ways to measure that. So whether it's like, okay, you have to be really, really good at TikTok. Is that a big way to like build an audience and, 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 you know, showcase your video editing skills? Honestly, I look at some of these TikToks and I was like, holy crap, this is genius. This is like a whole (laughs) other level of creativity to narrow a message down into something this short. It's like paying attention to like, what are you kind of being asked of, right? I'm very big on data as much as like, I'm an intuitive, creative, abstract person. I think there's a lot of science to the art Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like pay attention to like what seems to be your strong suit. And it's finding that overlap of like something that I really enjoy that also seems to be of service to other people that they're willing to pay me for, right? And that just comes with general self-awareness. You know, it's like, I think we can get tunnel vision sometimes. I definitely did of Mm -hmm. like, I have to do this. Like, this is the goal and I'm hell bent on it. And to agree, I think that it's great to be that determined and that like focused. There needs to be somewhere in there to be flexible and be like, is this, is this proving to be something that is bringing me returns, whether that's money, whether that's um, further connections or whatever it is, right? You have to, you have to identify that. And that's really tough because we all got to eat. We all got to pay rent. 
You know, what it, what, what's coming back at me to indicate I'm on the right track? Is it, you know, words of encouragement? Are people giving you verbal affirmation? Like you're really freaking good at this. Yeah. Um, for me as an actor, that mattered so much because it's not like I, you don't walk out the door and get booked for like an HBO show. Of course. You have to, you have to get the most out of every single tiny little YouTube sketch or whatever and let that feed your confidence, you know, whatever it is and your persistence just to get to the next day. You are, you're not going to like hit it out the park right away. And one analogy that I learned actually that was really meaningful to me was that I helped uh, produce one of the first Asian American music showcases at South by Southwest. Oh, congrats. Thank you. It was really cool. And it was just kind of like understanding the festival circuit and understanding how many different people contribute to like one artist or one project, one film, one even musical artist, like it could be the singer and the band. And um, one of the really humbling things that I learned was about South by how one of the showcases Adele actually performed at one of these venues at South by when she was, nobody knew her. And she performed actually to a mostly empty room. Because South by anybody who goes to any of these festivals, there's a gazillion events happening. There's parties, there's concerts, like all at the same time too. Exactly. They're all overlapping. And so you never know, like you still have to show up. You still got to, she kept going, you know, she performed at South by, which is a big festival, but to a mainly empty venue. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that had kind of destroyed her confidence in herself or been like focusing on like, oh my God, nobody came to my show or whatever that was that could have been it. So it's, it's kind of that. It's just like, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself. You have to pay attention to it. Like the fact that maybe she focused on, yo, I got invited to South by, and maybe that was enough for her. So she's not going to measure her success on like, oh, I had a thousand people or a hundred people at my show. It's not like I earned my way here. I got selected to be here. That's enough for me to keep going. Uh, okay. I want to shift back a little bit to talking about you because you have a lot to share about your personal experience as well that I think will really resonate with the community members. So I want to hype you up a little bit beforehand for for the (laughs) sake of, you know, creating an ethos around you for this community. You have done it all. So you've also trained at UCB, which is Upright Citizens Brigade, which Mm -hmm. to name drop some of the alumni there, you've got Aubrey Plaza, Amy Fuller, You've worked at Beverly Hills House, which is like where George Clooney also came from. You've been a commercial actor, like you mentioned, for uh, Wells Fargo and HP. So a little bit of, you know, the commercial work. You've done some short videos that blew up and went viral, like you talked about, for BuzzFeed. Um, You've done voiceovers and you have your own podcast. So seriously, you've done it all. I don't know how you (laughs) spoke with yourself. fun doing it thank you that's that was like wow that is a lot you don't remember you just keep going I just keep going thank you I really appreciate it oh yeah no problem how have you been able to find your place in each one of these facets of the creative industry have some of them been harder than others to find your place in definitely being in collaboration was approaching this industry from a diversity lens, right? So I was looking at very much of like how do I fit into the grand scheme of things as an Asian American female Mm-hmm. And I'm just an Asian American female, like an East Asian American female who's a millennial who looks a little bit younger than she is, like, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's a very brutal, but to me, I think it can be a very empowering and awakening because I had to learn my casting, basically. I had to be aware of like, okay, if I wanted to make it, if my dream is to work with Meryl Streep, how do I get there? Like, what's a possible trajectory? That in and of itself can be very limiting because 
if you don't see people like yourself or any examples of people like you, whether that's your ethnicity or whether that's your type, um, the kind of comedy that I want to do, et cetera, it can be very discouraging because it just seems so far-fetched, right? Like, oh, there's nobody like me. I'm not in demand. But so I had a lot of these mental barriers, I feel like. And I will say from like being in the diversity space, I mean, it's very much established. There has been a lot of um, systemic racism. Not all that I think has been very like conscious or blatant, but there is racism. I think there's like inherent bias and it's not even like ethnicity, but it's like people who just run in the same circles. Like you need diversity of all kinds because they're the gatekeepers, right? That was really insane for me to learn over the years, like how the system actually works. And then also seeing how much it changed from the time I entered to now. And so we keep evolving. And so I just saw opportunities everywhere that I went. And I kind of just went with it because A, I was hungry. I wanted to, I want to be an actor and I wanted to, you know, shoot my shot. And I went in knowing like, I'm not going to get in on the first try. So might as well just try things and go for it. Yeah. So it was like a constant upward cycle and it, it was not easy and it hasn't been easy. Um, just like stay motivated because those, those things that you said about my resume are very like, it warms my heart and gives me a lot of like, wow, yeah, I did that. And also in the grand scheme of things, given that there's like 365 days a year and I've, I started eight years ago, uh-huh. those feeling, those like wins can feel few and far between. Right. So like those gaps is like, how do I get from one win to the next? Like I said, you have to celebrate every little win. I don't think there's such a thing as like a gig or win too small, you know? And so I think um, wherever people are at in their, in their path, we all know in theory, no one's journey is the same, right? We know that. Yeah. I wanted to go to a really good quality acting school where I get the best bang for my buck. Cause trust me, I was like starving artist mode running a nonprofit organization, you know, I was making less than I made at my corporate job when I was like in my early Mm twenties, but I was like, no, I'm here for this. I'm going to invest in myself. So I was just like hungry to make the most of every single opportunity. And that's what I think helped me amass those things and kind of break through those mental barriers. If you didn't have the attitude that you have in the internal confidence building mechanism in your own brain, it may have been very hard to continue and celebrate those small wins while you were working towards the bigger one. And I think no matter whether you want to be an actor, you want to be a DP, where you want to be a producer, you have to celebrate any small win. Okay. So part of you being an actor and being a commercial actor, you've been on set with a vast amount of directors and producers and videographers, which is a lot of what the community is um, that we're speaking to. And in your experience, what aspects of a production crew have made those shoots go smoothly, go professionally versus maybe some of them that were very unorganized and chaotic? First, I just have to say, as a producer working with collaboration, my job mainly with that was a creative director and producer. So I'm actually, as much as like I am an actor, my, more of my resume and more of my hours have been spent as a producer working on live events and other digital projects where I'm a producer and I'm working with crew, um, running a nonprofit. I feel like the majority of the people that I actually vibe with really well are crew. Honestly, I've just had a lot of hours watching how crucial crew is and how crucial producers are. And I'd say there's really actually two clear things and I can't name them because I'll get in trouble. One of them was for a very, very, very reputable, huge network. And it was a gigantic multi-million dollar set. 
production, whatever. And it was one of the most stressful experiences of my life. And I was just doing background, but I spent a good 16 hours on set, which I don't even know if that's legal, but, uh, I was, I was there for a long time and I, I was watching everything and I was like, wow. And it was chaos. It was mayhem. And it was very disorganized. And me as a background, and me as a type A producer, I was like, who's running this? And then six months later, I was on set for an independent feature film where a now friend of mine was doing his very first feature. And, you know, they, they did two week shoot to do a feature film, right? That he had written himself. And that experience was drastically different. It's like, I, I was so happy to show up on set at 5 a.m. And that I think is key to a set is respect. It's respect and communication. And that's such a cliche answer, but that is everything. And what I've seen with some of the bigger budget stuff is that there's like a clear hierarchy and that's important to know whose job is what. But I think there needs to be a general, like you are the prop master. I'm going to listen to you. You know, like I have my agenda as AD and I have my agenda as script supervisor, but it's like, how do you treat each other? Are you speaking to each other in a commanding way? Are you bossing them around? Are you rushing them? Or are you doing it because like you're there to make something really amazing happen? That's really what everyone's there for. Mm-hmm. We didn't all show up at 5 a.m. so that we can make a piece of crap, right? <laughs> and so I think, you know, it does the leadership. I'm very big on leadership. I do think that the people running the whole shipping set that tone and who they hire and who they bring on influences that. But I think at each level, I really liked getting to hang out with the crew and I really liked getting to know who the heck they were, their actual names and thanking them. I I watched it because everyone else was doing that too. And it really changed the whole vibe. If somebody needed to move so that the lighting could come through, people moved happily. They did not listen. They didn't like get all caught up with their light, you know, whatever their makeup. They were like, oh, there was no ego. So... Um, I would say, you know, whether you're a PA or whether you're the lead actor, there needs to be a level of appreciation and respect. I think it goes such a long way. It changes the whole tone of the set environment. And that will, I think, facilitate a great shoot. It'll facilitate a great project. It'll make everybody feel comfortable and able to do their job well. I want to shift a little bit, but not exactly. So we're still talking about like film work and and Mm -hmm. in the narrative industry, what do you think is the biggest obstacle into infiltrating that field? So do you have any advice? Yeah, I I have a growing number of friends who are all amazing, like DPs and Mm -hmm. just, they, they run the gamut of the kind of below the line crew. Here's my thing when, whether you're a performer or just a creative person, your art is your product, right? It's like, it's interesting because you're commodifying art, basically. Yeah. And if you're the camera person, then you're the person that's framing it, having, you know, you're the one making that image happen. And I think you gotta, you gotta be able to do things that you would do for fun anyway, right? Like I podcast, that was not an income source. It still kind of barely is. It's still something that I just do for fun. I like spending time on a microphone having conversations. Mm-hmm. Now that I get paid to do it for commercials, that's even better. But it's something yeah. that I personally enjoy. And I think doing work that's not paid is actually really important. Mm-hmm. I think it's a way to stay creative, keep the passion and the fun alive about it. I think there's like this intuitive cosmic part of that is like if you only look at it as a job, there's, there's going to be a wall. You're going to hit a ceiling. I don't know what, the, it's just going to be a barrier. And I think in terms of like penetrating a narrative uh, world, I think it's just a matter of getting really freaking good 
even when no one's watching and even when no one's paying you. For example, my first thing that I ever made for yeah. fun was a music video for my friend, Tim Atlas, who's an amazing musician that I know from collaboration. I was going through a breakup. So I wrote like a scene. I was in acting class. I asked my classmate, will you play my boyfriend? My yeah. roommate was a DP and the three of us made a music video with just two actors writing the script. And then John, my DP, he filmed all of it on his own camera. We used zero lighting. Yeah. He just did all the color correction and he did all the editing. And out the gate, it got like 3,500 views, which no was zero. I, I, well, it's also because Tim's a great musician and people know who he is. <laughs> okay. But like, that was my first project. And I, I had zero kind of expectations of how well it was due. I just wanted to make it. Yeah. So I used what was available to me. And so I think in terms of penetrating a market, you got to keep making. That's your product. People need to be able to see your work. The other part that I think in terms of what I see with artists that persist is they got to put it out there. And that's the sucky part of a lot of artists is that they don't want to promote themselves. Yeah. You got to be discoverable. And in this world of like the internet and me being a total millennial tech nerd, and I struggle with this too, even with my podcast, even with all the stuff I want to do, can people find you? How are they supposed to know who the heck to contact, right? Yeah. If they see your name in the credit, which people are actively looking at. If someone sees a really dope music video or whatever, and they want to look at the credits like, oh, I like that. Who made this? And they can't find your name and they can't find you. You're siphoning off a lot of opportunities, uh-huh. right? And then, I don't know. It's just, it's a mix of like just actual execution, creativity, and administration. If you're trying to get into narrative, any film, not just any, obviously you want to go for the prestigious yeah. ones, but getting a film festival under your belt, knowing what the protocol is, understanding how distribution works, building relationships and just doing it is already like a huge leg up. Right. And then you can tout, put that on your website and say, Hey, you know, I, I was a DP for this short film that got recognition at the Bentonville film festival. I so think marketing yourself when you are your own business is so hard because we have been just told through society not to brag, not to, you know, to stay humble. And you have to kind of do the opposite of what you're comfortable with so that you can get noticed. How do you think that this also kind of relays into creating a social presence? I think social presence is, you know, there's people I know who actively avoid it. Mm -hmm. I say, depending on your industry, go for it. Like that's totally your prerogative. If you're in the visual and media arts industry, <laughs> there's got to be some aspect of you that, does, that is to your benefit to live online somewhere. Yes. So some people really go about it to personalize. I'm highly personal, a little personally. I'm just like, okay, I need to scale back how much of my life <laughs> I'm here. Um, but I'm okay with it. But like I've chosen that route. I also know other people where like their Instagram or whatever is strictly just their work. And that's great because it's their portfolio. And I think, again, at this point, we have enough examples to kind of say, I like the way that they've done it. And then just go do it. You don't have to share anything. You have to tell people where you're from. You could just literally just do stills of your work, follow certain other people that you are actually genuinely inspired by. I think, you know, there's a lot of data at this point to guide people on how to build a social presence in the way that they feel comfortable. There's no one way to do it. Right. And again, whatever your measurement of success is, maybe you don't care to have a million followers, but you care to have the right followers, which is people that you want to collaborate with and that you want to like advance with. That's, that's your measure of success. And so screw everybody else who has like, I have a hundred million thousand followers, whatever, like 
it doesn't matter to you. And I think also on the bragging thing, I've struggled with that. The way that I've approached it and it feels right to me and genuine and authentic is to celebrate gratitude and say, I had so much fun. This was a great, I had a great time doing this. I'm really proud of this work that I got to do with, you know, so-and-so. Those are very genuine and it's not bragging, but it's also giving yourself credit. Like, yeah, I helped make this and I did this. Let's work together. Yeah. Um, so we are almost out of time. I feel like this has gone by with a blink of an eye and I knew it would <laughs> before we even got on the phone, but I want to talk about your podcast for just a couple of minutes um, yeah. and share with, you know, this community, what it is and maybe they want to tune in as well. So you want to talk about it a little? Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, I started a podcast with collaboration called Collabcast, and that was specifically to interview and feature Asian American artists. That was really cool. I fought Marvin, my co-host, tooth and nail, like saying, I don't have anything to say. I don't know why you want me to be a podcast host. <laughs> and then after an hour passed by, I was like, oh, maybe I do have stuff to say. Yeah. Um, and so he actually encouraged me to start my own because I was always nagging him about dating and about his mental health yeah. and how are you doing with your confidence? Are you taking care of your body? So essentially, I started something that's pretty much kind of become like a self-development kind of podcast. I talk about all the stuff I like, which is romance and dating and my family life and therapy and mm -hmm. my confidence, my imposter syndrome. And I bring other awesome people in my universe to speak on it too, to share their stories because I learned so much from them. And that's the podcast. It's called First of All. It's what I say whenever I'm about to pop off on something. <laughs> Okay, well, everyone go check it out. I've actually listened to one of the most recent episodes and I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, this has gone by in a blink of an eye. You have shared so much insight that I think is really incredible for this community to take and implement into their careers and into their journey. And yeah, thank you on their behalf and on mine. One last thing I'll say is that there's a way for everybody. I'm genuinely of an abundance mindset. I think I've operated in a very scarcity mindset. And this is stuff I talk about on my podcast. But it's like, there's not a limit to this. You know, we can, the, the point of us as creators is to, is to make, you know, and if it hasn't existed before, that's even more exciting in a way. We get to kind of call the shots and we're creating different narratives for other people to enjoy. So just don't shortchange yourself. Don't sh shortchange the world. Like people do need to hear different thoughts and ideas and see different perspectives. And uh -huh. that's on us to, to follow through. What a perfect end note. <laughs> I feel so motivated. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Minji, for joining me. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. Good luck to everyone. Wishing you all the best. Bye, guys. Bye.